Well, good afternoon, everyone. We are here sitting down for our Integrate podcast for the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation. I get a chance to talk with someone who I randomly met and was introduced to, Susan David. And for some odd reason, we were paired up on a project together. And I would like to say it has been an honor for me to be lifelong friends with Susan David. So, Susan, welcome. Thank you, Tommy. It's great to be here. Yeah. Susan, tell me a little bit about yourself. I mean, what do you do for a living? You're living in Santa Barbara now, but you went to Wheaton College. Talk to me a little bit about your time graduating from Wheaton College, what you want to do and what you're doing right now. All right. Well, thanks, Tommy, for giving me the opportunity to tell you about myself. Um, I actually live in Coachella Valley, which is not on the coast. It's in the desert of California. And um Ended up out here because my husband works for hotels and we moved out here so he could work at a resort, but I got to keep a job out in DC and I work in the security industry. Very, very good. So security industry, when you first graduated from college, what did you think that you were going to do? Oh, well, that's a great question. I graduated from college with a uh, degree in economics and political science and I a couple months after graduation, moved to East Africa. I moved to Kenya and spent yes. the next eight years there. It was it started out as a year and a half commitment and spent eight years there. I really wanted to live in a developing country. So it I did not I have not had a traditional career path. Yeah. What were you doing in Nairobi during that time? I was working uh, for a nonprofit that worked with refugee women. And we were training them on different life skills, sewing, uh, restaurant, uh, computer skills, different things. And I was handling all of their export operations because they made products that they exported to the United States. Ah, okay, okay. And so, for instance, did you, like, when you left there, did you know some of the skills, like how to do exporting, how to do training? Or did you find when you were in Nairobi, you kind of had to figure it out yourself? I, I mean, I was a brand new college grad who had, didn't have a whole lot of life experience. So a lot of it was just learning as I went. Um, they were new to export operations as well. So some of it was, we were all new to it. And uh, it was just a good challenge for me to kind of learn as I, as I went. And I was thankful to have a great boss who ran the organization and she was really helpful. Now, was Brian, were you married at that point in time? Was Brian also in Africa with you? We were engaged at that time. He came over, he lived with a host family for a little while, and um, we came back and got married about halfway through my first year and a half commitment there. Okay. So it's been eight years, right? You lived in Nairobi. Why didn't you stay there? What, at what point did you say, hey, I'm going to move back? At, at least I remember when you and I talked, you had just moved back to Minnesota, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm, right. We after so we were two years, about two years in Kenya and then another six years in Uganda. We worked with Samaritan's Purse um, and did relief and development work and some other things. We got a pretty well-rounded experience and then moved back. Our, you know, our siblings had all gotten married and started to have kids. And uh, we we just really wanted to be near family for a little while and and um, spend some time in the States maybe start over in our careers and try yeah. something different. So we moved back and ended up in Minnesota. So we went from 
the heat of the equator to uh, the freezing cold climate of Minnesota. <laughs> yes. And then Brian started, is that how he started working in hotels and just started working up the chain? Yep. So he had in, when we were in Uganda, he started a restaurant in the town where we were living. He actually ended up having a couple of restaurants. And when we came back, he really wanted to continue gaining experience in hospitality. So he, he applied for hotel jobs and uh, by God's grace, got a management position at a Hilton in Minneapolis yeah. and has been with them the last 10 years. Very good. Now, what about yourself? When you got back and you're living, you now have worked at Uganda. You now worked at Nairobi for a number of years, international. You come back. What did you want to do or what did you think you were going to do? Yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, I knew that my resume qualified me for a lot of nonprofit or ministry type work, yeah. uh, but that's not really what I wanted to be doing. It's not where I wanted to be. I wanted something very different. I wanted to be more in a corporate setting. So I started looking for like administrative assistant or executive assistant type roles and stumbled into um, an IT company. And yeah. I was the executive assistant for the owner of that company. And that kind of put me on a whirlwind path over the next few years while we were in Minnesota, learning, um, learning managed service IT. Uh, and then when I got to DC, switched jobs, I left my job in Minnesota. We moved out to DC for Brian's work and continued in sim a similar industry, but security. So along the same lines, a lot of overlap, but um, still much different. And it's been great because I've spent the last 10 years basically learning learning new things. Yeah. But at the same time, for a period of time you're in D.C., that's when you and I intersected yes. for a period of probably six months. And we were working with a nonprofit ministry in D.C. at that point in time. And as memory <laughs> show. It wasn't the um, smoothest of experiences that we both had with each other. I mean, we walked into a situation where leadership had a problem. And I, I think a lot of times, and there was a big, huge event that we both had to oversee and work on. Yeah, I think you and I had a smooth experience between us. It was the yeah. organization we were working with that didn't make it so smooth. But yeah, we had a great time coordinating a big convention um, and I was kind of the point of contact out in D.C. and got to work out of um, the organization's office there and uh, be kind of a liaison for you for those couple months. As you look back, and a lot of times we dealt with the situation where it was a last minute preparation for a convention. We dealt with an executive director who didn't always understand deliverables very well. As you look back, what did you learn from that experience as you watched from the outside looking in, but still involved with some of the day-to-day? -day? What did you learn that you applied that into your own leadership growth? Hmm. I think, one. I mean, one of the big things was just the importance of having a good team. Yeah. Tommy, you just are gifted at pulling together a great team um, and understanding people's skill sets in order to plug them in. Um, and so I think I learned that like when you've got a good team that's working toward the same goal, uh, you can you can make a lot happen with um, whether it's last minute or not the right information, whatever it might be, you can make a lot of stuff happen. So I think that was a big lesson for me. Um, and I think for me, too, this comes a little bit from my experience overseas is just learning how to communicate with different types of people. And Correct. making sure making sure you've got everyone 
if not on the same page, at least understanding um, the expectations. Yeah. And would you say, I, I think one with the team and communications with the team is I'm always looking, Susan, for some a team member that's flexible, that's fluid, that doesn't really care what they have to do. They just want to get the job done. That doesn't feel like, hey, I'm too good to do something. But that mutual respect on the team is so very important. And you're willing to help each other out. That's what I'm looking for in team. I feel like that makes the best team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we had a great team for that uh, for that convention. So yeah. everything went pretty well, <laughs> all things and, considered. All things and the communication, right? Yeah. Is a lot of times all your plans, even the best, well laid out plans, are going to go off course. But yeah. during that period of time, how do you learn how to communicate good news and bad news? How do you help people understand what's going? How do you over communicate versus? assuming that you knew what was going on. So now you're learning to communicate. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I find, Susan, that's easier said than done because communication doesn't mean I'm the boss, I tell you what to do. It means dialoguing and uh, soliciting mm -hmm. input and creating mm -hmm. a identity mm -hmm. in a team atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as you switch over, and so I know for a fact, I've asked you to stay for so many times, even work with me as well, too. But you decided to transition to the corporate world and you went back to securities. And now for those who may not understand, what what do you do in the security industry? Yeah. Yeah. So when we, when I was in D.C., I, I worked for uh, a security manufacturer. So they were building, selling security systems, cameras, um, so surveillance type systems and working on an enterprise level. So um, government customers, big education, um, retail, so big stores like a Walmart, things like that. So I was on the manufacturer side in the sales department helping out there. And then when I came out to California, I transitioned out of that role to a government contractor who sold those products, um, but is on the integration side. So handling okay. a lot of government contracts. Yeah. And during that period of time, especially when you were in Washington, D.C., you got involved in a church in which you and I know the mutual pastor that was based in Washington Heights. Susan, yeah. I've been to Washington Heights. I've walked mm -hmm. the streets of Washington Heights. Tell me about Washington Heights. Yeah, um, the church is called Anacostia River Church, and it's just, it's in that same neighborhood. It's called Anacostia, um, and it's a historically Black neighborhood in D.C., and it's still more than 90% African-American. Um, and the church was started as a church plant out of Mark Dever's church, yeah. Capitol Hill Baptist, and very deliberate in their mission to be what they call east of the river. There aren't a whole lot of church plants east of the river in D.C. Most of what people know of D.C. is, is on the other side of the river. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a neighborhood that's, that has some issues of, similar to inner city Chicago. Um, and that church has been very deliberate about being, becoming part of that community, being active in the issues in that community, um, and really trying to reach out to that community. And, and I was really thankful to be part of it for the couple years that I was there. As you look, how did that change you as a person? Uh, how did you learn how to really integrate yourself? Because for both you and your husband, 
African Americans, I mean, uh, Caucasian, very mm -hmm. successful. How did you have to learn how to integrate and build buy-in amongst the people in that neighborhood? Yeah, I mean, I think there were a couple layers of it. One, you know, I wanted to be part of that church because I really did just want to learn uh, from that community, whether it was within the church. So as brothers and sisters in Christ first, uh, to be able to to ask questions, um, to dialogue about really difficult issues, um, and to have that uh, faith in Christ that unifies us in those conversations. And so I was really thankful for that from within the church. Um, and then I think on the community side, um, it was harder. I think we weren't there for very long. Um, if I just, I really am convinced that relationships in those types of yeah. neighborhoods and impact in those types of neighborhoods takes time and commitment. It's not a, it's not a, you're in and out in a year, you go in and yeah. within six months, everything's great. Um, so I think that we would have, we were, con before we left DC, we were contemplating moving into that neighborhood. And I think if we could have committed to it for longer, I think we would have, I would have maybe some more to say, but I feel like, um, I wasn't there long enough to really comment on that piece. But there are learning lessons that you have, right? And Susan, let me put you on the spot on this one, is what did you learn about being that community that you didn't know prior before going in? And, and, and before you say this, and the reason I say ask you this question is mm -hmm. I still remember going to Nairobi many times, and I mm -hmm. went to Kibera. One of the things that I learned from the people there is they said, Tommy, have the attitude where you don't feel sorry for us. Don't mm -hmm. come in and just feel sorry for us. Don't yeah. come in and see the poverty there and feel sorry for us. Understand that this is the community that we work with and we have to build hope. And the last thing we need is for people to come in and feel sorry and give us handouts. But at the mm -hmm. same time, continue to inspire the people to live out of that. That's something I had to learn being in Kibera in Nairobi. Mm, yeah. Yourself, what, what did you have to learn? Um, I mean, I think, you know, similar. I had a lot of those uh, lessons for myself when we lived overseas in East Africa. But I think um, in Anacostia, I think it was just a greater appreciation for the complexity of the issues, whether, yeah. you know, people talk about gentrification and and uh, how how does it look when a neighborhood like that, um, your basic, it's the, va the values of the homes are going up exponentially and the people that have been there for decades can't can no longer afford to live there. And DC is an expensive city to begin with. So what does that look like? What does it look like to be in a food desert um, and not have a lot of access to grocery stores? What does it look like that there's you know only two metro stations for that whole area versus the rest of DC? You can get to a metro easily within a couple blocks. You know, the, all of that, like the healthcare and just how complex the issues are, the history of the city and how it came to be the way it is. Um, I think that just being there really helped me uh, gain a lot more appreciation and under understanding of how um, how complex these issues are, that there isn't just a, a easy answer. If they came, if someone sat down with you and said, okay, Susan, how did you build trust and bridges? What would you say to them? You know, I think just living cross-culturally in multiple ways, whether it's overseas or even here in the United States, I think I've realized that you, 
you have to, again, back to my comment and giving it time, you've got to give it time to earn trust. And basically, if you are living like Christ, if you are humble and open, if you are full of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit and just being a good neighbor, right? Jesus tells us, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I think um, that goes a long way in building trust. But I think it does take time, especially when it's cross-cultural. Like if I threw to you, I would say, Susan, okay, that's great to hear. What do you do personally for you to be a good neighbor? What would you say to me? Uh, I think I genuinely try to care about people, you know, asking them questions about who they are and their background. I love hearing people's stories. So that helps because I I think that's a natural thing for me. But I think, um, yeah, being a good neighbor just makes, for me, it's making sure um, my neighbors aren't in need of anything that I, you know, that I couldn't be of help with. And so, um, that's a lot of times my immediate response is if I hear a need, I'm trying to figure out how do I, how do I help meet this need? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my dear friend, Ray Baki, who now has passed, has always told me, Tommy, in order to be a global citizen, you have to be a student. You have to mm-hmm. learn their culture. You have to build bridges by doing that. You've got to ask questions. Mm-hmm. God has a plan in that neighborhood. God has a plan. Even before you were there, your mm-hmm. goal is going to come in and look at the problems and start addressing it. But your goal is to sit there, you ask questions, you take an interest, you learn, you build relationships, mm-hmm. but always asking, Lord, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And how can I be part of what your wonderful plan is? And in mm-hmm. time, he will begin. But it does take time to do a lot. And I find a lot of times we go in, we see the problems, we want to start addressing it right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's, there's two different ways you can look at that. There's the individual level, which a lot of times you can address a need immediately on an individual level, where it, whether it's somebody needs a ride to a job interview or somebody is in need of a new bed, you know, connecting them somehow to the right organization or the right person or, or financially helping them. And then I think there's the greater, like the more complex issues such as gentrification or food deserts that take a team. And I think that's where being at Anacostia River Church was such an amazing um, thing for me to see how there was like a church built around this same mission um, to help fit. We didn't all have the right answers. We didn't all have the same answers, but to be able to, you know, one, love God, first as a group and then to love our neighbors together as a group it yeah. takes it takes a village to to really have an impact and as i hear the story look you've lived in nairobi you lived in uganda you lived in anastasia now you're over at palm springs four uniquely different places you added minnesota to it but mm-hmm. in each one of those situations you're still listening you're still building bridges you're still developing those relationships all the time yeah and my church out here is uh, probably half Hispanic. So I'm learning now I'm learning um, a whole nother culture in many ways. So that's been it's a tremendous blessing. I do feel like God, nothing God does is wasted. Right. And so I feel like God has prepared me um, and given me some gifts to be able, be comfortable in those situations and to be, like you said, always learning, but also just learning how to, how to love um, better. Yeah. 
which I have two more questions and I want to ask you a series of different fun questions as well, too. My first question is, okay, now you've lived in all of these situations. As you look upon your life and reflect, we all make mistakes that shape us into who we are today. Mm-hmm. Is there a mistake that still you look at your life that says that mistake helped change me as a person into who I am today? What would you say? Mm-hmm. That's gosh, that's a good one. Um, When we lived in Uganda, we were there for six years. When we started, we didn't know how long we were going to be there. Um, So we didn't know if it was going to be a year, five years, or our lives. I don't think we thought it was going to be our lives. But we we didn't think it would be six years even. Um, And so we we never joined a church during our time in Uganda. We were surrounded. We worked for a Christian organization. I was running the ministry program, so I was often involved with pastors and churches in that area, um, but we never actually joined a church. And I, I do look back and I think, I think that was a mistake. I think um, we missed out on what that community could have been like um, in having a church and submitting ourselves to, to the local church there in Uganda. And, and I think... Um, I think we would have had even a greater impact in the community if we had. So I, I don't excuse it. I can give you lots of reasons why we didn't join a church, but I don't think it's, I, I think ultimately it was a mistake. Yeah. Let's go to the other thing, a success. Is there a success, whether it's in growing up or that still sticks with you, a lesson, something that you are really proud of? that really launched you in different things or influenced your life. You look back and say, wow, I re- that really helped me to grow. And that was a turning point in my life. What would you say that would? Um, I would, I would probably say just committing to the time in Kenya when I was first out of college. I think yeah. we look back on that now, that it, those eight years and we wouldn't trade it for anything. I think people, plenty of people thought we were crazy. Um, plenty of people thought we shouldn't have started our marriage that way, or we should have spent some time in the States. And I think, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. Cause I think it, it taught me a lot, um, mm-hmm. taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about the world and sin and all sorts of things. Um, and I wouldn't trade it. And even though when we came back, I think both of us kind of had to start over in our careers. So many of our friends were way ahead of us. Um, we, we still, I think we have found contentment in just knowing where we've been and how that's, how that's led us to where we are today. Very, very good. Now, let me ask you some fun questions here. Yeah. Nairobi, as you look back at Nairobi, is there a place, is there a restaurant, is there a thing that you look back and you really miss about Nairobi? What would it be? Oh, yeah, I miss a lot. I thought the weather was perfect. It was a great city. There was so much, just so many... Yeah, there was a lot that was great, but I would probably say some of the food because it was probably some of my first time, first time having Ethiopian food. And there was an Ethiopian restaurant we went to all the time. Um, There was a really good Indian restaurant we went to a lot. So some of that I definitely miss. It's the first place I started drinking coffee. Um, So lots of good memories in in Nairobi, um, whether it was even outside of Nairobi on safari or at the coast. Um, but I think just probably um, my first real exposure to 
to some other cultures. And yeah. it was, um, I'm really thankful for it. And have you returned back to Nairobi recently? I have not. I would love to. One day we're going to have to go because I go, I still go there I quite would... a lot. I'm telling you, it has completely changed. You're going to be oh, amazed yeah. at everything that you've seen. Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It's totally different. I mean, they were like cutting edge of technology when we left in terms of just they kind of skipped some of the phases that America went through and just yeah. went all the way to, you know, whatever we've got now. So it's, yeah, I believe it. And how about Uganda? What do you miss about Uganda? Um, probably the, the people and just kind of a quieter life, you know, we just, it was just simple. Um, so I, yeah, we had some great Ugandan friends and, um, or, local organizations we're involved with and stuff. So I um, I didn't like the weather as much. It wasn't like a city like Nairobi, but um, but it had, it's still, it was a great, um, it was, yeah, there were some great things about it. And the thunderstorms were the best. <laughs> uh, and my last question to you, I mean, look, this is a Wheaton podcast, uh, Center for Faith and Innovation. How about campus life? Look, I, I miss my years at Washu being in the dorms at Washington University in St. Louis, the number of friends that I have. It was just a special time. What do you miss? Was it the dorm dorms? Was it the, uh, the, the food? Or what did you miss about that? Yeah, I probably the community for sure. I'm not ex as extroverted as you, so I I didn't have probably nearly as many friends. And even my husband knew everybody. I was not that person, but I do. Um, the friendships I did have were were just amazing, and I think that that is the discussions and the the ease of community when you're living like living so close together um, was a gift. So that was Wonderful. nice. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Hey, Susan, look, it's been 30 minutes, all right? So we're going to have to cut this. So thank you so much for your time. And in the future, you're going to be doing, you're going to be on the other side as you're going to be answering, asking some of these questions. So thank you for jumping on and thank you for allowing me to get to know you a little bit. We've been friends for a number of years, but for us to sit there and, and just hear a little bit about your life. Thanks, Tommy. Yeah. Thanks, Susan.